0: Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lionel Lamb Ministries. I want to welcome you to our program. We are in a study called The Final Redemption of Israel. And we are in the midst of that study already. Let me catch you up very quickly uh, to where we're at at the moment. We have introduced the subject and we have explained how the final redemption involves a whole series of things we're looking for at the end of the age. Not the least of which is the resurrection of the saints, the, the restoring of the two houses of Israel, the greater exodus, the return of the Messiah. A whole series of things are to be taken together and it's referred to by the, by the Jewish people as the final redemption of Israel. And in the first portion we talked about how redemption began, how the Bible defines redemption and uh, about bringing the scattered back of God restoring his people, uh, restoring the fortunes of Jacob, as it refers to it. And then we addressed that there's a kind of a theological controversy uh, because of the predominant teaching that most Christians have received uh, precludes some of these things. And, for example, uh, when... You go to a Jewish person and you say, uh, do you believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah? He's going to say no, and if he's knowledgeable, he'll say the reason why is because Messiah didn't bring the scattered exiles back from the nations. And most Christians are like just got question marks in their head, like what are you talking about? What in the world is that about? I thought redemption is already complete when the Messiah came and did the sacrifice as the Lamb of God. So part of that also is that the promises and the call of God upon Israel, the church teaches, was completed when the Messiah did the work of redemption, when he died on the cross, gave the Holy Spirit to us, that whatever God was doing with Israel, that is no more. And so they have not focused on the continuing promises of God to Israel they're not familiar with those. That's what part of the study, the study is about, is to look at that God made these promises to Israel, and he is part of this covenant, and he's going to keep them. And we're in the midst, uh, In we began back a couple of programs ago, reviewing again these covenants that God made with mankind. Uh, The church lumps all the previous covenants into the word the Old Covenant. Everything in the Old Testament is part of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And there's only one book in the New Testament that infers that or even speaks to that. That's the book of Hebrews. But what we've done is we've gone back and we're examining those covenants again. And one of the things that we're coming away with is there are definite signs with the covenant, the covenants were established by God. They don't go away. God continues to keep those covenants. And so we're kind of breaking down, if you will, this, this idea that everything is lumped together as the old covenant. Now, in the previous programs, we talked about the covenant that God made with Adam. It was with all of mankind. We labor. We sweat of the brow. Women bear children in travail. Uh, this is the course of our life, our lifetime has a certain mortal frame to it. These are all the things that came about as a result of the agreement that God made with Adam for all of us. Then the next one we looked at was Noah. God made a covenant with mankind, Noah, that he would not judge the world any further by water. Of course, the flip side of that is his future judgment is by fire. Uh, But he said he would not destroy the world by water ever again, and to put a sign in there of the covenant for it, he uh, instituted the rainbow or the bow in the sky, and that's the sign of that covenant. Now, the one thing that became clear, and this is what I'm emphasizing at this part of the study, the agreement that God made with Adam is still in effect today. The agreement that God made with Noah is still in effect Noah's covenant didn't replace Adam's covenant. And what we were getting ready to see is that the next covenant, which is the Abrahamic covenant, it's not going to replace the Noah covenant. They are separate, distinct covenants, but they add together in a collective that we call uh, these covenants of God. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, that the new covenant does not replace any of the previous covenants. That's my key point I'm trying to emphasize. God makes a covenant with man or with some individuals, and he keeps that covenant. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't reverse his position for the future. He continues to manifest himself and continues on with these covenants, and they remain in effect even till this day. Now, in our study, we're in the midst of reviewing those covenants, and we're at the point now where we're ready to talk in more detail about the covenant that God made with Abraham. And let me just, an introduction to that, let me say to you that now we're going to see a shift in the covenant. Uh, God's agreement with Abraham, and by the way, I'm going to refer to him as Abraham, even though he has a period of time where he's called Abram and then becomes Abraham. I'll continue to refer to him as Abraham. it, all of a sudden, the covenant now becomes personal. It, the covenant now includes relationship. The previous covenants God made with all of mankind, and, and even today, uh, all of mankind still has that covenant with God, the creator God. But now with Abraham, it's going to get personal. It's going to be involve Abraham and his descendants and his family. And, of course, we're going to come to understand that his descendants, his family, uh, is quite extensive. It's a spiritual family of those who believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you'll use three fathers in a row to manifest and fully show this covenant, but it's going to get laid out initially with Abraham. Uh, If you will, let's look at Genesis 12. Beginning of verse 1, this is where Abraham and his covenant is first introduced to us. And by the way, we're going to find there are three major parts of this covenant that God makes with Abraham. And let me just tell you in advance, part of what is happening is that when God makes a covenant, he's also revealing certain things about himself. I don't know if you know this, but how you really get to know a person... Uh, you have a relationship is you have to enter into agreements with the person in the keeping of the agreement that's how you learn whether the person is trustworthy or not you learn about his character you learn about how he handles different situations and and a marriage covenant as an example is a tremendous uh, effort in which the, you get to know the other person. In other words, the key to a successful marriage covenant is the revealing of one another and you become more and more intimate, you become more and more knowledgeable, personally knowledgeable of the other person. Well, the same is true of God forming covenants with us. It's revealing things about God. And it's telling us more about him so that we can be enter into an intimate relationship, a powerful and strong relationship with God. And this is the first manifestation. We're going to see how God does this with Abraham. Again, let's look at Genesis 12, beginning at verse 1. This is where this begins. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country. And from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God's now intending to do something with the world just like he's done with the others. But now it's going to be tied into a personal relationship with a person, in this case, Abraham. Um, And the, the fundamental thing here is God intends to bless. He intends to do good to Abraham and to his descendants. And let me just say to you that the foundation of our relationship with God is that God intends to bless and to do good to us. The same thing is, uh, let me just use the example again of a marriage relationship. There's No husband takes a bride that he doesn't express in some form or fashion that he intends to bless and to do good to his wife. That's part of the opening uh, thing. And in fact, the extension of the gift of, say, an engagement ring or any of that nature is an effort to show I I have the capacity to bless you and I want to bless you. And that's the basis of how the relationship begins. So God is beginning with Abraham, and he says, look, I want to bless you, I want to increase you. And then he lays out a very powerful principle that's for Abraham and for all of his descendants. I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. Um, I will bless those that bless thee, I will curse those that curse thee. The relationship that we have with God in Abraham is that if someone treats us well, we're descendants of Abraham, we believe in the God of Abraham, if someone treats us well and are part of the blessing that God wanted us to have, God extends blessing back to them. But if someone comes and is contrary to that, they bring curse to us, then God says as a defense to you, a vindication of you, I will curse them. And God is a master of measure for measure doing this. Um, And many brethren in the course of a lifetime of walking before the Lord can look back on their lives and see these moments when someone blessed them and they saw how God blessed them, and there are moments when others cursed them and God cursed them. And this is a very powerful element in the relationship that God has with Abraham and with his descendants. That's us uh, for that. I also want you to take note of God's purpose and intent. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Paul tells us that that's the first preaching of the gospel, the first preaching of the good news, that the good news gospel that is talked about in in the new covenant and so forth. It originates from here, that what God's doing with Abraham on a personal level with him is extending on into the new covenant. The new covenant's not a new thing on this. Um, it's talking about the same things that God made, thus proving my point that what God makes a covenant and there's a provision of the covenant, that doesn't go away just because he makes another covenant with another group or an extension of the original group. Now, we also see the second part of this covenant begin to take shape, and that's in Genesis chapter 15, and beginning at verse 5, he says, "...and he took him outside," referring to Abraham, "...and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them." And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness." This is when God promised that Abraham was going to have a son, and you know the story goes on about how he has a son through Hagar, and that's Ishmael, but that wasn't the promised son. That's not the son that God said Abraham would have. Instead, it was Isaac through Sarah. It was a bit of a miracle birth associated with it, again proving that God fulfilled his promise, and then he gave a son. And from that son, he's saying, from the promised son, that his descendants would become like the stars of the heaven. When we look up at the sky at night and we see the stars, that's one of the signs of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And those stars are still there, and that promise is still there that his descendants will be greater than the number of stars that he could count. And by the way, just uh, this is a kind of a curious, trivial moment. If you were to look up at the sky at night and with your natural eye and you were to try to count the stars, uh, astronomers tell us that you are really looking at something in the order of about 600,000 stars. That if you go out in the night sky and you're away from the city and you're looking around and you see all the different stars, you're looking at approximately 600,000 stars. Uh, When the children of Israel come out of Egypt and they number the children of Israel, this is several generations later after Abraham, guess what they count? They count of the men of Israel, uh, there are over 600,000. So it's an evidence that God kept his promise to Abraham. And again, God keeps his promises. He keeps his covenants. And it wasn't too long afterward that we received it. But that promise... And that provision in the covenant still remains with us today. We can still look at the stars. And we know for a fact the descendants of Abraham um, through the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the descendants are even greater than that number and still remains with us to this day. So then we look at the, uh, I want to give to um, the other provision of this covenant that he gave, this is in chapter 15, verse 18, where he said, And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, the this is the original promise of the land of Israel. It's given to Abraham and to his descendants And as you know, in the Middle East, there's a great dispute over that land, the land of Israel with different people and so forth. If you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then you have to say God made an agreement with Abraham and his descendants. This is going to be the land of Israel, and it's given to them. It's not given to any other nation. And one of the provisions of the reason why we have a conflict in the Middle East, I can give you the root reason, is because we have people occupying the promised land that God didn't authorize. And fundamentally, that's when you have a conflict, especially amongst nations. Someone tries to take the land of another nation. And so this is the reason for war, for conflict. And so the the root issue of the conflict in the Middle East, to this day, has to do with this promise. And that's the reason why it continues on, uh, even because God made a promise of the land. If you look at the parameters that God made here from the river of Egypt, he's not talking about the Nile. There's another tributary uh, river called the River of Egypt that is the border between Israel and Egypt. And it's not all the way over into the Nile Delta at all. And the existing border that we have uh, today with Israel and Egypt is very close to where that's at. But if you look at the other border to the river Euphrates, we're talking about all of Jordan extending over into half of Iraq. That land belongs to Israel, to Abraham and to his descendants. Now at no time have we seen the de- Abraham or his descendants ever actually occupy all of that land the closest we ever got to it was in the time of king david and king david his empire uh, was quite extensive as to how it doesn't mention how far it went over to the to the east of uh, jerusalem but he pretty much was in control of most of the land that is mentioned here as being the promised. And his kingdom was considered to be the greatest of Israel on the earth through King David. Um, the, uh, what most teachers um, do with regard to this is we refer to what we call Israel and greater Israel. Israel today and historically, you know, which is uh, the confines of from the Sea of Galilee down the Jordan River all the way to the Gulf of Aqaba and then the Mediterranean Sea and then the River of uh, Egypt. Those perimeters are what we all refer to as Israel, ancient Israel. And but there's this promise of the Greater Israel, and the Greater Israel is part of the final redemption, part of. The final redemption is that Israel finally will have all of that territory. Uh, the Messiah will reign over all that territory and it will be called Israel in that future day. Uh, then we go to chapter 17. This is, we've had two parts where God has laid out the covenant. He's now going to give the third part. And he says in chapter 17, at verse 1, Now when Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I shall make nations of you. Kings will come forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Now the fact of the matter is, is that there are many people in many nations even today that believe in the God of a Creator, uh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the reason why all these nations exist with all these believers and the reason why we still talk of Abraham is because of the words of this covenant. God's intention in the covenant with Abraham, although it's personal and directed to him and through his descendants, It would be massive for the whole world, and we have that today. Anyone who suggests, well, uh, the covenant God made with Israel, that was with Israel, and now he's dealing with the church and the new covenant, and that's the reason why it's going out into the nations, that teaching is false. Uh, it is true that the gospel was to be taken out, in the Great Commission to be taken out to the nations, but that was done as a manifestation and a continuation of the covenant made with Abraham. Let me just say that to you in, in, again in, in a simple and direct way as I can say it. The fact that we have so many believers believing in the Messiah, believing in the God of Israel today, is because of the promise made to Abraham. That's where the original idea comes from. The idea that the nations of the world would become believers in in the one true God is not a new covenant-only idea. Now, I've heard teachers say, well, God had one program with Israel, he's got a whole different program with the church. That's false teaching absolutely false i've just read to you god stayed in intention with abraham it was for all the people of the world the fact that we have all the people of the world getting involved with the one true god is the fulfillment of the promise and the covenant he made with abraham that he would make him the father of many nations not just israel and that that relationship with god would extend through abraham years ago Um, I was at a uh, forum, um, and it had been put together on a university, and it was kind of a, uh, let's uh, meet different leaders, teachers of different religious bodies, and let's give them an opportunity to kind of express how do they originate, where they come from. The the first one that uh, got up was a uh, Methodist. And he said, well, we Methodists, we got started uh, in England, and it, the it was John Wesley, and he had this Bible study, and, and um, they, that's the reason why they're called Methodists, because they had a particular way we'd study the Scripture, and that's where we came from. So then they had a Catholic priest, and he got up and he said, well, we began with uh, the Messiah, uh, the Christ being crucified on the cross and everything that is extended from there that that 's where we come from and and what we 've been doing and then they asked this Mormon, and this Mormon came in and he said well we're you know um, we got started you know there in the United States, and we made our way to Utah and Joseph Smith, you know he was the guy that started us and and uh, Brigham Young and those guys and uh, that 's how the Mormons uh, got started and then they asked me. And I was almost embarrassed. And I said, well, actually, um, where I originate from is from Abraham. I predate all of these people. In fact, they don't realize it, but they all come as a result of the Abrahamic covenant. They, 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 you know, God didn't just decide to start something new. God, the, the thing that God got started with mankind started with Abraham. So I date all the way back to the origins of that. And I'm part of the promise of Abraham to be of Abraham's descendants. Uh, to tell you the truth, it was shocking. I don't think anybody had ever quite thought of that before. And as you would expect uh, in with the issues of um, uh, dealing with that kind of theological conflict, uh, the questions that came from the audience, was the, I, I had the host of the most questions because uh, they wanted to know more about what I had to say than what the others, they kind of had the others figured out, but they never heard that concept so they wanted to hear more about it it is strange to me, honestly it is strange to me the number of Christian brethren and I used to be a good Baptist uh, the number of Christian brethren, even from that people who study the Bible who claim to know what the Bible is and they still don't understand that the covenant that God made with Adam is still in effect, with Noah it's still in effect the one with Abraham It's still in effect, and they are here as part of being the nations and believing the God of Israel as a part of the covenant with Abraham. Uh, They they just skip all of that and jump fast forward into the new covenant. When we get to the new covenant, we talk about that we're going to find ourselves relating back to the previous covenants, and we'll see the connection where it goes forward as well as backwards uh, into it. Let me continue on. With uh, what uh, God said to Abraham of this covenant let me repeat again for you the words I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you I want you to take note it says for an everlasting covenant Uh, in the Hebrew thinking an everlasting covenant we have another name for that We call it the salt covenant. Salt is a simple substance that we have here, sodium chloride. Uh, We use it in all of our food, and it's a very natural ingredient that exists. And I don't know if you realize it, but salt has always been here. And by the way, after you and I are gone, salt will still be here. And God uses this picture of a, a salt covenant, salt, Being, This is like me, the Lord. When I made an agreement with you, it is like before you, it's during you, and it will be after you. Uh, That it remains forever. It's eternal. It's referred to as an everlasting covenant. And it's called a salt covenant. You're going to hear more about that later as we get into the other covenants. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout your generations. Did you hear that? There is a covenant with Abraham we are to keep forever. Um, How many teachers have you had that came up and said, Hey, you know, this part here in the Abrahamic covenant, we're supposed to keep that. I've been told by other teachers, well, all that stuff that was prior to Jesus, we don't have to keep that anymore. Uh, we just keep the new covenant. He, God is here saying, if you're going to be part of the Abrahamic covenant, you have to keep it. And he expects us to continue to keep it. He says further, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you, and every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not part of the descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh, For an everlasting covenant. Let's make sure that we understand something here. This sign of the covenant is directly connected to the land. The promise of the land, also the keeping of the covenant, is for the males to be circumcised on the eighth day. Including all servants. It's not just native-born. It can be um, foreigners and sojourners if they're in the land of Israel. Uh, In the New Testament, there are some places uh, where there's a little bit of a controversy. Paul talks about what circumcision is, what circumcision isn't. The controversy is based on this. There was religious Jews in the time of after Yeshua that tried to claim that circumcision was connected to salvation. And the scripture is very clear that righteousness and faith don't have anything to do with circumcision. Circumcision is a separate thing. It's a physical sign that has to do with the Abrahamic covenant, and it has to do with the land of Israel. It is not about if you live in the land of Israel, you're saved, or if you are a descendant of Abraham, you're automatically saved. You're saved because of the grace of God through faith, believing the promises of God. And you didn't hear me mention the word circumcision in there at all, did you? It's a completely separate, distinct topic. But it did become confusing in the New Testament period, and that's the reason why Paul had to address it. But let's go back to what did God really say to Abraham. The descendants of Abraham, that are going to be a part of living in the land, are going to be circumcised on the eighth day. To this day, the Jewish people still continue to keep this right, and many believers keep this right. Uh, Is it mandatory for salvation? Absolutely not. Is it mandatory if you're going to live in the land of Israel? Absolutely it is. And this is the counsel that I give to believers. If they're not and they want to live in the land of Israel, I point this commandment out, that this is appropriate for you if you're going to be there. Now, if you're not living in the land of Israel then it's your choice. You're free to do so. But it's tied directly to the circumstances of keeping the covenant with Abraham concerning the land that God gave to Abraham. It's tied together with that. So if we step back and we say, okay, God made this covenant with Abraham. Now what still remains with us today? There are two things that still remain. Uh, the stars are still in the heaven and we still can see the promise of the stars having to do with its descendants. And furthermore, we still have the right of circumcision. It exists in the world today. It is part of it. That has not gone away, and nobody is standing up and saying, hey, with the new covenant, we can get rid of the stars. The stars have no more meaning, or we can get rid of the right of circumcision. Nobody stands up and teaches that because it's not correct. It's not true. So we have now completed three of the covenants that God made, Adam, Noah, and uh, Abraham. Uh, And I might also add that Abraham, the covenant is with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In three generations of fathers, he made exactly the same covenant with Abraham that he did with Isaac, the same one he did with Jacob. And during that story, if you'll recall, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, but the covenant extended to Isaac. Isaac, too, had two sons, Esau and Jacob, but the covenant went to Jacob. So thus we call it the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three fathers. And we're ready now for the Mosaic covenant. And understanding how the Mosaic covenant came about, it's the ancient story, of Israel being down in Egypt, being enslaved by Egypt, and God now bringing them up from Egypt. The reason they are in Egypt is because God said to Abraham that his descendants would end up making it down to a foreign country. They would become enslaved, and God himself would bring them up, which is the great story of redemption. If you remember, Joseph was the first one who went to Uh, Egypt. He was the first one that was enslaved there. And from his descendants, that's how uh, Jacob and his family ended up going down into Egypt was through the story of Joseph and thus the story of redemption. But I want to take you to back again to Genesis 15 when we're talking about the covenant with Abraham, because this is when God told Abraham that his descendants would end up going down into Egypt. And the reason why he was going to have to bring them up In Genesis 15, beginning at verse 13, it says, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace You will be buried at a good old age. This is the fourth. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. God obviously knew in advance when he talked to Abraham what was going to happen to his descendants. He made a covenant with him and his descendants. He knew that eventually his descendants would end up down in Egypt. And that Egypt would enslave them. And so he tells Abram that when when that time comes, I will bring him up. And he also alludes to the Amorites. Now, the Amorites were also a very ancient people. And God, when he brought the children of Israel up out of Egypt and brought them into the land, he used them to render judgment to the Amorites. And if you remember in the battles... Uh, in going to the promised land, they had to deal with the Amorites. God had several things working here at the same time. He shared with Abram what was the great plan. I want you to take note of something here for a moment. God knew that when he made this agreement with Abraham, that part of his agreement with Abraham was going to extend all the way over to this new covenant which would be called the mosaic covenant he knew it was going to extend into it and and he had the foreknowledge of that and he so he spoke to that because god will make a covenant with moses and with the children of israel bringing them out of egypt and so the abrahamic covenant is feeding into it by the way i want you to take note of that's the way the covenants work Each successive covenant lends itself into the next one. You're going to see this very powerfully demonstrated in the following covenants that we see, how God increases that. He's going to take the Mosaic covenant. It's going to feed into King David and the Davidic covenant. It's also going to feed into the new covenant. All of these feed ultimately into the final covenant that God will have with mankind. So let's move to the Mosaic Covenant, and we have some time now to get into this for just a little bit. Uh, let me take you to Exodus chapter 3, and this, of course, is uh, on the heels of, of uh, Moses' is reminding us there were 70 persons that came from the loins of Jacob that went down into Egypt, And that was mentioned in Genesis. It's mentioned again in Exodus, as Exodus begins. And the story is set because there's a little bit of intrigue to that, and I need to make mention of it very quickly. If you go back into Genesis and you count up the names, because it lists all the names of the people that went down uh, to Egypt, it says 70 persons in all from the loins of Jacob went down there, Uh, That doesn't include Jacob, nor does it include Jacob's wives. Those aren't from the loins of Jacob. It's his children that we're talking about. If you list all of the names, there's only 69 names listed. You do not see the 70th name in the listing. Now, when you get into Exodus, you're going to hear the story of who the 70th person is. And the 70th person turns out to be the mother of Moses. She was born... The day they arrived in Egypt, she was the 70th person. So the first part of Exodus is telling us about, reminding us of the 70 persons, how they got down there and how they got into Egypt. And then from that point about the fulfillment of them living there, prospering, and then becoming enslaved by a future pharaoh. Uh, there in Egypt, and about how God now is going to fulfill his promise that he made to Abraham to bring them back up again. So in Exodus chapter 3, let me begin at verse 6, and here is um, the Lord having conversation with Moses, and and he's at the burning bush and here's what he says he said also i am the god of your father the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob why would he say that because the conversation that god is getting ready to have with moses is an extension from what god said to abraham isaac and jacob in other words the covenant that god made with abraham isaac and jacob the reason why things are going to be happening is because i made a covenant with your fathers and so he wants moses to know that his father is one of the descendants, he's one of the descendants, and he's going to be doing this according to the promises and the covenants that he made. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me, Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Remember when I shared with you about God's agreement with Abraham now became personal. Well, at this point, you know, why would God be going down and gathering the people up out of Israel? Well, he told Abraham that was what was going to happen. Uh, so he could say, I was f- f- fulfilling my good word, But at this point, he draws attention to the harm that are happening to the descendants. Remember, I will bless those that bless thee, I will curse those that curse thee. And that promise was extended to Abraham and to his descendants. So we are now seeing how God's personal attention, it was not only on Abraham, but it's on Abraham's descendants. May I just also say... The same attention that God gave to the descendants that were stuck in Egypt, God gives the same attention to us. And he does listen to us, he does pay attention to us, and that's further evidence that the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still in full effect today, regardless of what has transpired afterwards. Now, he goes on to say in chapter 3 and in verse 12, he said, and he certainly said, and he said, certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that is, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Now, God's made an appeal directly to Moses. He's at the mountain of the burning bush. God has anointed Moses to the task. He's dispatched him to go to do the work, to do this work of redemption. Uh, for the children of Israel, and he said, the goal is, I want you to come back to this mountain. Why? Because it's at the mountain where he's going to make the covenant. He's going to do a lot of powerful things in Egypt, but the people are going to make covenant with God at the mountain into the future. So as we go a little bit further at verse 16, it says this, Exodus 3, 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together. Say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I will, uh, I will bring you out of the affliction of the Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Again, he's reminding them of the promise that had been made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your descendants. This is the promised land. I will give this land to you for you and your descendants. So he's saying to the people, I'm going to bring you out, and I'm going to bring you to the promised land. But I want you to take note, he's going to take a stop on the way to the mountain. He's going to come to the mountain. That's where he's going to establish covenant and then go back into the land. Well, you could say, hey, Uh, God already had established a covenant about the land with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That still was in effect. So there's got to be something more that's getting ready to take place at the mountain. And in in fact, that's what sets this covenant up as opposed to the others. The stage is set to go to the mountain to find out what is this additional covenant God is going to make. And I want to remind you again. At the lineage of this, it's Abraham to Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, instead of Esau to the sons of Jacob. Now we're talking about the sons of Jacob. But guess what? When they come out of Egypt, it's not just the native born of Jacob that come out. It turns out it's a mixed multitude. The scripture tells us it was a mixed multitude of people. And it was not only the native born of Jacob that was released and redeemed from Egypt and enslaved there, but slaves from all other nations that Egypt had taken. They too came out, and they were numbered with Israel. The precedent is now set that the definition of Israel is not exclusively to the native born of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that God chooses whom will be part of his family. It is God's gracious choice as to who will be there. And part of that choice has to do with um, to the, the redemptive process. Uh, now, we, uh, as Americans, we love underdogs, and we like to see the guy who's been put down, lifted up. This is a classic uh, story. Uh, It it pulls heartstrings from each of us when we see how God has uh, taken a people uh, that were being oppressed and has lifted them up and made them victorious over the Egyptians. And so that's part of what drives this great story, is the great story of redemption. Um, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 1, it begins to shift gears. Moses is now being dispatched. To to um, go back to Egypt and to deal with Pharaoh, and it says, then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall so, so see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. The this conflict uh, between the oppressor and the redeemer is is a classic spiritual story, and it kind of explains a lot that's going to follow from here on out. The whole idea of the Messiah coming to forgive us of our sins is that each of us, because of sin, we've become enslaved and we die in our sins just as Israel was enslaved and will die in Egypt unless a Redeemer comes. The ancient story of redemption is built from that. And as I mentioned to you before, since we're talking about the final redemption of Israel, the very roots of the definition of the Messiah coming and redeeming, it comes from this ancient story. And it began with the words of Jacob sending Joseph to see to the welfare of the brethren in Genesis 37 and verse 12 and 13. All right. So now, furthermore, <clears throat> in chapter uh, Exodus chapter 6, Um, he goes on to explain a little bit further about uh, what he's going to be doing through Moses. And it says, and God spoke further to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, and this is the name uh, Yahweh, uh, I did not know myself, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Okay, he's reminding us of the covenant that was made with the fathers, and he's still keeping it. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. I said to Abraham that his descendants, those that bless them will be blessed, those that curse them will be cursed, They are cursing your descendants, and I'm going to put judgment upon those that have done it and deliver your descendants. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know I am the Lord your God." Who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now, you probably didn't know this, but in these words, forms the basis uh, for uh, the sign of this covenant to the, the, that God's getting ready to do. And it's going to come about the, the the escape from Egypt is going to come about as a result of the Passover, the tenth judgment, which is the death of the firstborn. There, God's going to command them to have a memorial that will remember this, and and part of the memorial is the Seder Passover meal. They eat this, they sit and they eat this meal with unleavened bread and they they had the roasted lamb that with it. Well, the wording that we have from God here, where he specifically says, um, So, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens, I will deliver you from their bondage, I will redeem you, within, and then I will take you. Those uh, four action verbs actually form the basis of the memorial Seder for the naming of the cups of the Passover. First cup is the cup of sanctification, I will bring you out. Uh, The second cup uh, has to do it says, I will deliver you, uh, which has to do with the cup of instruction. Here was the judgments that God did. Third cup is called the cup of redemption. I will redeem you. I will purchase you out of there from slavery. And then the fourth cup is called the cup of praise. I will take you to be my people. So the Passover cups, part of the formal Seder, that is done in a Passover memorial that we'll find out about, it comes from God stating what he's intending to do. Now, this is, again, the fulfillment of what God prophesied to Abraham that would happen, but it's going to be expanded dramatically and become the basis and form into the covenant with Moses. Now, you know the story. The Ten Judgments fell upon Egypt, and they finally came to the crossing of the Red Sea, and they made their way to the mountain. So they're at the base of the mountain, just as God had specified to Moses, I want you to bring the people to the mountain. And here's what God then has to say that God specified for the Passover, because it will lend itself and show you what we're going into as he builds this agreement. So we're still getting ready to cross the Red Sea. This is the Passover meal. And here's what he has to say in preparation for the Passover meal. Now, this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. To this day, we keep the Passover. I want you to take note of something. This is before the law was given. God is establishing something he wants the people to do even before the law has been given. 7 days you shall eat unleavened bread on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses for whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day that person shall be cut off from Israel on the first day you shall have a holy assembly on another holy assembly on the seventh day no work at all shall be done except what may be eaten by every person that alone may be prepared for you you shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at the evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month of the evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leaven, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is alien ...or native of the land. Again, we're including all people. You shall not eat anything leavened in all of your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Why would God, in making this memorial, in this transition of fulfilling um, the prophecy that he gave to Abram... ...about his descendants being in the land and being brought out... ...and that we're en route to the mountain... And he then institutes this memorial because, my friends, there's something about what we are just read that's going to have a huge implication with regard to the Messiah. One of the, the things that we always play when we, have, uh, when we study the Torah, if you find a natural question... As to why did that happen or why does it happen in that way? Why did he specifically specify this in this particular way? And there's a whole series of commandments that way. You need to stop. You need to ask yourself, what does this have to do with the Messiah? Because ultimately that's where we're going. We're ultimately leading to us understanding that God is our Redeemer. This is a very important point in studying how and understanding how God's redemption truly works, and certainly understanding how the final redemption works for as well. All right, that is our program uh, for this episode. And next time we get together, we're going to continue on talking about the Mosaic Covenant, and we're going to talk about how this feeds into the New Covenant with the Messiah, and we'll review again how God established the covenant with Moses. Shalom, everyone.